Well, welcome to episode eight. Alrighty, so now we are out of the weeds pretty much completely. Well, at least for now. So last week we did a full introduction into the Olympians, and of course we had to kick it off by talking about the big three: Zeus, the king of the gods and ruler of the sky; brother number two, Poseidon, king of the sea, and of course his powers/slash domain were all about water, and also horses, which I mean may sound off because like what do horses have to do with the sea, right? But apparently, Poseidon's lust for his older sister is to thank for the invention of horses, which he created to impress her. And then, of course, there is the third and eldest brother, Hades, who is the king of the underworld and rules over the dead, but is not responsible for their death. And I realized that in the last episode, I forgot to mention his Roman name, but it is Pluto, which just seems like another blow below the belt, seeing as it's the smallest and last planet. And do you guys remember when they kicked Pluto out of the solar system? That was insane. And now there are apparently calls for it to get its planethood title back because even some scientists think that it was super unfair and uncool to do. But anyways, it's still not a planet to NASA. But of course, obviously in our hearts, it's still one of the gang. But anyways, that is enough talk about the boys. It's time to get deep into the girlies of Mount Olympus. So seeing how there is more than three, we will do a super quick list and I'll try to keep the description short, but we'll do the same thing we did last week where we'll go over them and then like a main myth that revolves around them. Now, keep in mind, this is like in the order of general ranking among the gods even though Obvi, some of them are older and there are others who are children, but it doesn't really matter when it comes down to it because it's all about popularity. So first off is Hera because she is the queen of the gods and Zeus's last and longest wife. She's a clear first runner, so the rest of the list technically could be argued. So then second, we'll do Aphrodite, the goddess of love, BT dubs. These are very quick and general descriptions right now. Then Athena, the goddess of wisdom, Artemis, goddess of the hunt, Demeter, goddess of the harvest, and finally Hestia, the goddess of the hearth. That's the six of them. So from the short descriptions, they sound like they cover a wide range of topics surrounding human life, but when it gets into the nitty gritty, there is some slight overlap with the goddesses as well as some of the other gods. So now let's get really into it. We'll of course be starting off with the queen of the gods herself, Hera. She's the sister of Zeus and was one of the children who was swallowed alive by their father Cronus after she was born. Once Zeus freed her and the rest of their siblings, Zeus actually didn't marry her right away. Instead, he had kids with six other women before settling down with his youngest sister. And the way he managed to woo her was disguised as a cuckoo bird. And you may think it is an odd choice, cuckoo even, but it's actually very on brand for the both of them. When the Romans started renaming all the gods, she was gifted with the name Juno. And although she did not get a planet named after her, they did pass a name on to the fourth largest known asteroid. I don't know why, but I always think of her as a naggy, bony old lady, but that's actually super wrong. In ancient Greek pottery depictions of the goddess, she's actually usually painted out as a beautiful young woman with curly black hair topped off with a crown and holding a lotus scepter. And being that she is a modest woman, she is one of the goddesses who is often portrayed fully clothed. 
As she is the queen of the gods, she is mentioned a lot, but in the majority of myths surrounding her, she's actually usually taking revenge on some girl who got mixed up with Zeus, and that's kind of like her main thing. I don't know if this is the most popular myth about Hera, but I think it's one of my favorites, and I just really like the stories that are used to explain why something exists the way it does. So the story goes like this. There was a princess named Io who lived in Argos and was the daughter of Inachus and the Oceanid nymph Melia. Her father, who was the king, had introduced his subjects to the cult of Hera and encouraged his daughter to become a priestess to the goddess. Everything is going good so far. But it wasn't long after her devotion to the immortal gods that Zeus got to take a good look at the mortal princess and became instantly smitten by her good looks. Now, me liking this story mostly, maybe, is because it is one of the myths that's actually retold in Terry Deary's book. But anyways, so Zeus, of course, in most stories revolving around his courtship is turned down the first time. And in one version of the story, he only actually ever scores a date with the princess because her father kicked her out of the palace based on some bad advice from the oracle. Pretty much after that happens, Zeus then gets a chance to wine and dine the young mortal woman. While he's spending time with Princess Io, he's almost caught red-handed by his suspicious wife, who was suspicious for a reason. In order to avoid being caught cheating, using his godly powers, he transforms the princess into a milky white cow. Another version says that Hera actually transformed her into the cow, so Zeus wouldn't be able to have his way with her. But anyways... So after she is transformed into the cow, Hera doubles down and forbids Zeus from seeing her as a cow or a princess. And to make sure that he actually keeps his distance, Hera entrusts one of her friends, Argus, who is the all-seeing giant with a body covered in 100 eyes, to stay on the lookout and provide around-the-clock security over this cow, as his eyes never all shut at the same time. But for Zeus, this was not going to stop him. He just needed a new plan. And obviously, it didn't take him long to come up with it. So in order to get the security guard out of his way, he then sent his son, Hermes, the messenger of the gods, to go distract Argus with his generally annoying personality and lack of interesting anecdotes. And when the boring stories weren't making the cut, the young god then whipped out his panpipes and started playing a lullaby to gently close each and every one of the eyes on the giant's body. Once all his eyes are closed, the job is done, right? No. So after boring the man to sleep, Hermes then makes good on his intention to finally bore someone to death, and then proceeds to cut the head off the sleeping hundred-eyed giant. Seems a little bit uncalled for, but hey, that's Greek mythology. Zeus gets his GF and kept her in cow form, which I don't know if she was super happy about that. But Hera definitely wasn't happy. Her husband's run off with a cow and her stepson just killed her friend. So after all that went down, Hera did two things. Firstly, she sent a glad fly to follow Io and sting her constantly because she was still a cow. And to try and evade the stings, she just kept wandering and wandering and wandering till eventually she walked all the way to what is assumed to be the modern-day Turkey area. 
and bumped into Prometheus, post-stealing fire, aka chained to the side of a mountain. And then she kept and kept and kept on walking, apparently until she reached Egypt. And once she was all the way there, Zeus turned her back into woman. She gave birth to their kids, probably meaning that she got pregnant as a cow, maybe, and then continued on to marry an Egyptian king. Back in Greece, though, after mourning the loss of her watchful friend Argus, Hera didn't want his 100 beautiful eyes to go to waste, so she cut them all out and put them on the tail feathers of her favorite bird, the peacock. And that's why their feathers appear to have eyes on them. So cool. I love little myths that line up like that. So depending on how you interpret what happened, you might think Hera is maybe not a nice goddess, but I mean, just like the men, they aren't really supposed to be. To be fair, she does get boned a lot, though I guess she doesn't have to take it out on anyone. But anyways, let's get on to the next goddess. Okay, that one felt a little long. I'll try to shorten the next five. Next up is Miss Aphrodite. So I mentioned it before that she is technically the oldest of the Olympians, even though they all became Olympians at the same time. But she's actually from Cronus's generation of offspring. But she sprung up out of the ocean after her father's genitals were chopped off and dropped into the seawater. In Greek, Aphros translates out to mean foam, so that's where she gets her name from. Well, her Greek name. Her Roman name is Venus, which was then gifted to a planet and a razor brand. So Aphrodite is obviously the slightly infamous goddess of love, beauty, pleasure, and procreation. And of course, being the golden goddess of beauty, it goes without saying that she was the most beautiful goddess, which of course meant she was more beautiful than any Greek mortal woman too. And if someone were to say that they or their daughter was more beautiful than Aphrodite, the goddess did not take such incorrect accusations lightly at all. Anyways, continuing on, so unlike a majority of the other Olympian goddesses, Aphrodite is usually depicted naked or only partially clothed. But if you're the representation of the ideal female form, then I guess clothes don't necessarily agree with you. The goddess of love also pops up in a lot of myths, but the emotion love can do a lot to both mortals and immortals. I mean, soon after she was born slash created, she was escorted to the heavens and everybody up there either wanted to be her or be with her. And of course, even though she carries the blame for the entire 10-year Trojan War, seeing as she was the goddess that was chosen by Paris to be deemed the fairest of them all, and then, of course, to thank him for the golden apple, she offered Paris the most beautiful, but not as beautiful as her, mortal woman, who was Helen of Sparta. And then, yeah, after that exchange, a bunch of stuff went down. But I think her most popular story, of course, revolves around her own affairs. So if we stick to the genealogy flow where Aphrodite is not the daughter of Zeus, it's a little less weird. So on Mount Olympus, there were only three immortals who were immune to the charms of the beautiful goddess. And they, of course, were the three virgin goddesses, Artemis, Athena, and Hestia. So everyone else was just lusting over her so hard that Zeus actually had to step up and forced her to marry his 
lame and ugly son, Hephaestus, to lock her down and stop all this craziness that was going on. He was super happy about the marriage. So happy, he actually forged her jewelry and a very special girdle that was designed to accentuate her breasts, which made her even more desirable to other suitors, so kind of shot himself in the foot there. The goddess of love, on the other hand, wasn't too happy about being tied down, but the marriage was not going to stop her from continuing on with her many, many affairs. There was a lot of other men involved with her, but the most notably, of course, is Ares, the god of war. So pretty much what happened was Ares and Aphrodite were fooling around in her marital bed, literally in Hephaestus' bed. And like always, the only god who got to see everything that happened under the sun was Helios, the actual personification of the sun. So he saw the two of them fooling around and being a good bro, he told Hephaestus what was up. So he plotted and waited till the next time the two of them hooked up again. And when, of course, they eventually did, he popped up and trapped the two adulterers with a golden net that he forged especially for this occasion. Once the two of them were trapped, the lame god gathered up the rest of the Olympians and brought them all into the bedroom to shame and laugh at the two gods caught in the act. But not everyone thought that what he did out of revenge was that cool. So some of the other gods bartered with the cuckold to release them. And of course, he eventually did. Following this, then Hephaestus asked Zeus for his dowry and gifts to be returned back to him so he could then divorce the goddess of love. Sounds kind of funny, right? But the story then continues elsewhere. Of course, sex usually does lead to children, so a lineage started underneath Ares and Aphrodite. And of course, how would you feel if your wife kept cheating on you and then had kids with the guys she was cheating on you with? So it sort of leads into another myth, but basically the story, very quickly, goes that in his rage, Hephaestus cursed the children of their sinful union. So when the daughter that she had grew up and was getting married herself, Hephaestus forced a gorgeous necklace that would ruin the life of anyone who wore it. And a couple of people got screwed over from wearing this piece of jewelry. So next up is the goddess of wisdom, handicraft, heroism, courage, war, strategy, industry, and cities. She was definitely my favorite goddess growing up, and she of course is Athena. Her birth is a little odd, but a lot of the gods came into this world in very interesting ways. But pretty much her mother was Miti, the shape-shifting nymph who was pregnant with the goddess when Zeus swallowed her up, doing this to prevent the birth of Athena, who could potentially be wise enough to overthrow her father. Even though he swallowed his first wife, that didn't stop her from giving birth to their daughter and her growing to be full-size inside his head. So obviously, after about another six wives, the headache became so unbearable that he asked, the most common is Hephaestus, but there are a lot of different versions that name a bunch of different guys that come to the king of the gods' aid, and help him out by splitting open his head with a double-sided axe, and then, of course, full-grown and fully-armored Athena emerged from the wound. And this edition of the new child of Zeus really ticked off his current wife Hera, actually made her so bad that she popped out another baby all by herself. Athena is described to be a very formal and modest woman, 
obviously always covered in her armor, Corinthian helmet, a long robe, a long spear, and then of course the Igus, which is either a breastplate or a shield covered in snakes with the head of the Gorgon on it that would actually scream during battle. Her Roman name is Minerva, which wasn't given to any of the heavenly bodies, but instead J.K. Rowling gave it to the professor, then headmistress Minerva McGonagall. But even though she didn't get a planet, she did get a whole city, Athens. But her getting that city was a little bit of a battle with her uncle Poseidon. Pretty much what happened was way back when the mortals on Earth started establishing cities, the gods, being the super nice guys that they are, wanted to have cities that were devoted to them with temples and constant ritual offerings in exchange for their patronage and protection. So the gods started to split up the various cities and hand them out to the other Olympians in a very fair way. But when it came to the capital of Greece, two of them wanted it for themselves and were not willing to concede. So instead of trying to work it out on Olympus, they went down to the citizens and put it to their judgment. All of the gods came down to get a view of the show too, don't worry. But the deciding opinion was given to the king and current namesake, Kekropas, a half-man and half-serpent. The challenge for the two competing gods was to create a useful gift for the city that would help it continue to be prosperous. Poseidon used his triton to create a puddle of water, which then turned into a lake. Okay, sounds good, but it was a lake of salt water, and you can't really drink salt water, so not too helpful. Athena then planted a seed in the rocks on Acropolis Hill, and from that seed instantly sprouted a full-grown olive tree covered in fruit. And of course, the tree could provide food, shade, wood, oxygen, and most importantly, olive oil. So, I mean, the winner seems a little obvious. Zeus deferred to the king's judgment, which then made Athena the patron god of the city. So it was then renamed to Athens. And in his bitterness, Poseidon cursed the city to always have water issues. And it still does to this day. And how cute is this? So there actually is still an olive tree next to the Acropolis, and it's supposed to be the one that the goddess originally planted. The next goddess is Artemis, and she is the goddess of a bunch of stuff. Nature, childbirth, wildlife, the moon, the hunt, sudden death, animals, virginity, young women, and archery. But she is best known simply as the goddess of the hunt. So her name may mean unharmed or possibly even pure, but that's something that no one can actually agree on. I mean, it might not even mean either of those things. The Roman version of her name is Diana, and because of this name and the whole partial inclusion of other Greek mythology characters into the story, Wonder Woman is often assumed to be Artemis, but she's actually more meant to be an Amazon that has super close ties to the gods. And when it comes to the depictions of the goddess, she's usually made out to be a young girl herself in a youthful knee-length chitin with her bow and arrows always by her side. Take note that she herself is one of the virgin goddesses and she's the protector of young women up until the age of marriage, the same way her twin brother Apollo, who she actually helped her mother give birth to, is the protector of young boys. And I know it's just quietly tucked in the middle of that list, 
but her and her twin brother were also the gods responsible for bringing sudden death to the children they watched over. Total curveball, right? So the virgin descriptor used here doesn't necessarily carry the same meaning that we give to the word today. Instead, it's more likely that it meant an, an unmarried woman or just a woman who was not tempted into lusting over other men. So being the goddess of the hunt, the main myth involving her obviously also includes another hunter. So the standard description of the story says that one day in the woods, Artemis was having a quick bath in a stream of water when Aetian, a hunter who was on the prowl for prey, caught a glimpse of the young virgin goddess and couldn't take his eyes off of her. Well, that didn't end up working well for him because she then spotted him peeping on her and as revenge, she cursed him so that if he tried to speak, he would be transformed into a stag. And of course, he attempted to yell out to the rest of his hunting party. So then boom, he was turned into a deer. Unfortunately for him though, his hunting party and his dogs didn't recognize him. And you can't blame them for that. But thinking that he was just a regular stag, the dogs chased him down. He tried to save himself by begging the gods to change him back, but that was no help because eventually the dogs caught up with him and then tore him to shreds. The hunter became the hunted. And it's sad because he was totally brutally murdered, but there is an amazing statue in the Royal Palace of Caserta in Southern Italy. The whole place is breathtaking, but I just really love the way this thing looks. Anyways, moving on. So then there is Demeter. She's the goddess of harvest, agriculture, fertility, and sacred law. We kind of went over her in a little bit of detail last week. Oops. But if you don't remember, she is the mother of Persephone, who of course had to search for her after Hades kidnapped her. And while she was consumed with that, she kind of neglected her role as the provider of Earth's bounty for mankind, aka food which then led to a bunch of mortal worshippers just dying off. Demeter, being the mother of Persephone and one of the original children of Cronus, she's typically depicted as an older, more mature woman who can usually be seen with her iconic cornucopia and a sheaf of wheat stalks. And in some of the cults that were devoted to her, she's called the She of the Grain. Last but not least, there is Hestia, even though she's no longer an Olympian, I still include her, obviously. So she is the goddess of domestic and civil hearth, sacred and sacrificial fire, virginity, family, and the state. And she's also the third virgin goddess. Her Romanized name is Vesta. Being the main virgin goddess, and I know Artemis is kind of the virgin goddess, but I think her holding on to virginity is a little bit more impactful because Hestia is a modest middle-aged woman versus a girl like Artemis. And I think I mentioned this as well, but her virginity was something that she demanded to maintain in order to keep life on Olympus civil. Two of the gods that lived among her wanted to marry her. And I guess she wasn't into the idea of marrying her brother or nephew. So she made a vow to Zeus to stay a virgin for eternity. And to thank her for her sacrifice, Zeus made sure that she got a couple of benefits, like the best part of all the offerings and a cushy seat among the Olympians. 
And we also briefly touched on this last week, why she's not considered an Olympian anymore. But she was a member of the original 12. That was until Dionysus came onto the scene. But there's actually no concrete myth telling this transition of power. It just kind of happened. So her main symbol is, of course, fire, being the goddess of the hearth. And it is custom that she is the first immortal deity to receive an offering at every single household sacrifice. And when a new settlement is formed, a torch with a flame from the city's main hearth of Hestia was carried all the way over to the new spot and used to light the new hearth there. So hopefully it was never too windy out while they were doing this. Okay, alrighty. So that was the six ladies of Mount Olympus. There are tons of more myths and legends that have them involved in one way or another, and eventually we will get through them all. But the ones that we went over today are kind of the more popular stories that show the general personality or disposition of all of them, but they're all very complicated beings, so a single story is not a firm depiction of them. Okay, so moving on to the fun stuff, here's the question contest to win the free Oh My Gods t-shirt. So this week's question is, what was the original name for the city of Athens? If you know the answer, you can head over to ohmygods.ca slash contest and submit your correct answer and then add in your contact info and your t-shirt size. And if you get picked, you can win a free t-shirt. Okie dokie. So now that we've been through the main three gods and now all of the goddesses that take up residence on top of Mount Olympus, next week will be all about the rest of the boys that are up there. So that's Hephaestus, Ares, Apollo, Hermes, and Dionysus. And even though I think we've mentioned all of them at least once so far, we'll give them proper introductions as well. So if you like what you heard, please feel free to follow, subscribe, rate, and all the rest. And if you're looking for info or deets, check out ohmygods.ca for the reading slash watching list as well as the cheat sheet and the upcoming episodes. Thanks again for listening. Okay, bye!